You're listening to In Conversation from the Educational Freedom Institute. <laughs> cool, shows us live, and we are live with Patrick Wolf. Um, he did his PhD. Is the political science department, Pat? They call it the Department of Government, but it's really political science. Political science PhD at, at Harvard University. And for our listeners, as you know, there's been a huge backlash to a current Harvard Law School professor, Elizabeth Bartholet, who calls for a presumptive ban on the practice of homeschooling. Uh, we've, I've been talking about this with, with guests on both of my podcasts for weeks now, and the discussion has gotten uh, reignited because of a piece that came out just a couple of days ago in the Harvard Gazette, which is an official media arm of Harvard University, the other papers on the risks of homeschooling, and the other one were in uh, student-affiliated papers of, of Harvard University, of, of Harvard alumni, I believe. But this is from the Harvard Gazette. Uh, it's a warning on homeschooling. It's a full-length interview. I, 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 we'll talk about it today, but everybody should check it out for themselves. I've said before that they should have saved the characters and you know deleted N-I-N-G and just called it for what it is. It's a war on homeschooling. Uh, and with us today, you know, we have Patrick Wolf, again, a, 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 a PhD holder from Harvard University. And just so the listeners know, Patrick was the dissertation, my dissertation chair at the University of Arkansas, where he's currently a distinguished professor uh, in the Department of Education Reform over there. Um, so it looks like we have a good amount of people because everybody wants to hear Patrick Wolf demolish the arguments uh, of of Elizabeth Bartholet, like you did in Education Next. Uh, but without further ado, Matthew Nielsen, can you get us started with, with a more formal introduction? Yeah, sounds good. So I'm uh, Matthew Nielsen. I'm the board chair at the Educational Freedom Institute, joined as always by Corey DeAngelis, the executive director at EFI. He's also the director of school choice at the Reason Foundation and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Our special guest today is Dr. Patrick Wolf. He is professor and 21st century chair in school choice at University of Arkansas. He's the author of dozens of studies and other publications on school choice. So thank you, Dr. Wolf, for coming to chat with us. Happy to be here, Matthew and Corey. Um, I, I wanted this slot because it was originally advertised as the Chris Stewart spot. So I figure I'd have a much bigger audience if they were expecting Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of hey, we had a lot of fun with Chris. What was that? Just Friday. Um, yeah. Probably one of the most engaging conversations we had yet until today, obviously, because Patrick Wolf, you know, <laughs> joining us. But we were talking about the Ravitchian movement, kind of like the, mm. the whole school choice you know, movement and where it's come from and where the yeah. arguments have gone um, and, and talked a little bit about Diane Ravitch's latest book as well and the arguments that she puts forth in there. But Patrick Wolf, I know, I know that you're familiar with those, but yeah, let's, let's get into this demolition job that you, uh, you know, provided in response to, you know, the original article by Elizabeth Bartlett or not particularly by Elizabeth Bartlett herself, but uh, that was in Harvard Magazine by Aaron O'Donnell that highlighted the work of Elizabeth Bartlett. So what's your main take on that risks of homeschooling article? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people, uh, including you, Corey, who put out some great uh, pieces, 
criticizing that Harvard Magazine article. So, so what I did is I did a deeper dive into the law review article, the 60-page law review article that was the subject of the um, the Harvard story, and you know, just to see, hey, is is there compelling evidence? in this published law review article in support of the claims, the very strong claims that uh, she was making in that, in that Harvard Magazine story, you know, which, which I actually, I got a copy of it because I'm an alum of Harvard University and that's, that was sent out to their entire alum mailing list. In fact, I got two copies because my wife is an alum as well. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was really quite shocking how many um, inconsistencies, factual errors, unsubstantiated claims, just historical, hysterical, not historical, <laughs> but hysterical uh, statements were in that law review article. So, so uh, Matthew Lee and Angela Watson and I really kind of focused, I mean, we just had to, had to set out the wreckage and say, you know, what, what are, what are the most important flaws because we don't have enough time to catalog all of them. And we, we, we put, put together, you know, our, our strongest, you know, critique, the, the most significant flaws in this uh, Education Next post uh, that, that we put out about 10 days ago. So to walk us through, like, from your perspective, Pat, what is the biggest, like, what, what's just the central argument? that or if there is one maybe sure. maybe there are more than one sure i mean the central argument she's making and of course we always try to be fair to the arguments and the evidence of people we disagree with that's that's a, a, a core civic virtue and and a central point of of being a, a scholar uh, and her argument is that it's very important that young adults be able to choose uh, their own vision of the good life uh, that's part of liberal, uh, you know, the liberal kind of vision for for people choosing choosing their own distinctive sort of sort of um, uh, vision of the, of the good life. Uh, she feels that, or she argues that, children who are homeschooled are severely inhibited from choosing. Uh, their own view of the good life because they are they are sheltered and indoctrinated by their parents. But she really goes beyond that and says they also are regularly abused uh, by their parents. That 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 many homeschool families specifically homeschool their children because they want to abuse them uh, outside of the purview. Of of public school officials, so it's a it's a very strong claim that she's making, um, and and you know what really surprised us is is the absence of evidence to support. I mean, usually the stronger the claim you make, the more evidence you you need to bring to support it. But it's you know she mainly relies on the story, uh, you know, the sad story of a single. A uh, young person who was homeschooled and was abused, and that she hangs most of her argument on that one that one outlier case. I mean, it, it's it, it's almost it seems ridiculous to me that I mean, you, if you take that same logic, you can apply it to the government school system, right? You, you can you can apply it to any system of any sort, right? You can just say 
I found this one kid who was bullied and who committed suicide. Therefore, we should ban all government schooling altogether or even just all schooling altogether because we can find that you know evidence in any sector. Uh, Pat, what what is your take on the evidence that she does provide or does she not, you know, you, you talk about how she doesn't, you, she usually doesn't provide evidence, but what about when she does, you know, provide evidence or try to contend with the evidence? What What is your main takeaway there? You know, when she does, if you follow the footnotes, you know, most of the citations are in the footnotes. She mischaracterizes the, I mean, first of all, she doesn't rely on many empirical studies. There are, you know, there probably are, are 60 to 70 empirical studies of homeschooling in the, in the United States, in the, in the entire literature. Uh, Brian Ray has, has reviewed it, and, and there have been a couple of, of meta-analyses of it as well. So, you know, there are studies out there. Obviously, you can't randomly assign children to homeschooling. You know, they're homeschooled by their parents because their parents really care about their education and are motivated to customize it to fit their needs, which is one of the flaws in her argument is, is, is that she, she claims that most families who homeschool don't care about their child's education which is a ridiculous statement because if 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 parents don't care about their child's education then of course the path of least resistance is letting someone else teach them so right, if you right. if, if you're going to if you're going to go to the time and effort to teach your child you can be accused of a lot of things but it's ridiculous to suggest you don't care about your child's education and actually she criticizes some of the homeschooling research by saying you know, by making the opposite argument. And this is part of a pattern you see in her law review article is she contradicts herself in, mm -hmm. at different points. Um, so she, she argues homeschoolers don't care about their child's education, but the, the research showing that homeschool, uh, that outcomes for homeschooled kids are much better than for similar kids in public schools has to be discounted because homeschool <laughs> families care so much more about their child's education. So, so you know, she wants to have. Which it one is it? Yeah, yeah, you know, and and similarly, she argues that that we don't know how many students are being homeschooled. That there there's so little oversight of it. We don't know what the denominator is. But she makes almost a hundred claims throughout the law review article that many, most, or a majority of homeschoolers are like this, are scary in this particular way. She doesn't use any statistics to back she that doesn't, up. She doesn't use statistics. And then when you look at the footnotes, like for example, she cites the, the National Center for Education Statistics study, which is limited, but it's one of the best descriptive studies we have out there on homeschooling. And it concludes that 16% of homeschool families say they homeschool for religious reasons. But she argues throughout the article that a majority of them or up to ninety percent. Yeah, yeah, up, up to ninety percent. So somehow sixteen percent grows to up to ninety percent. Um, you know, are are doing it to for religious indoctrination purposes, um, and and you know, so so it's it's it was really shocking what a thin read um, the, 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 the tiny bit of evidence was that she was using to make these these hysterical and sweeping accusations about the motivations and the uh, actions uh, of, of homeschooling parents.
And what's also well, interesting on that is she questions the motivations of the researchers too, of Brian Ray, which I think is unfounded. And, you know, she doesn't really attack the, the methods of those studies all that much. Um, you know, as you said, the studies aren't perfect. We don't randomly assign kids to homeschool or not. But the best evidence we have from Brian Ray and others, uh, like you said, tons of studies that he didn't even author uh, find positive effects. The majority of the studies find positive, at least relationships of homeschooling and academic and on academic and social outcomes. Um, but, you know, what she does is she doesn't use any citation, you know, statistics at all to back up her claims or she'll. What's interesting is she'll, she'll attack Brian Ray's research, but then she'll cite, you know, researcher researchers like Barbara Knox, who were, you know, uh, under investigation herself for, uh, you know, reportedly, um, you know, nudging colleagues or press, peer pressuring colleagues to find abuse when abuse wasn't actually even happening. So, I mean, why doesn't she apply that same logic to her own researchers? I think it's because she's trying to uplift any negative effects of homeschooling and try to downplay every single positive study there is. And that, that study that she pointed to by Barbara, Barbara Knox, the researchers themselves even said that this is a handpicked sample of extreme cases. And then she uses yeah. those and, and generalizes to the whole population. And it was something like 24 kids, wasn't it? 28. <laughs> yeah. 28 kids. Yeah. Yeah. A, a 24 student sample of convenience. So, right. I mean, the, the, the two studies she relies on the most is that one, you know, heartrending, um, you know, biography of a, of a child who was, who was abused at, at home and this 24 student sample of convenience. So that's, I mean, that's basically the bulk of her empirical evidence are, are those two very limited studies. There's a saying in, in law that extreme cases make bad law. And, and you know, her article really does play up this one extreme case of, of abuse in a homeschool family. And we don't know if the homeschooling caused the abuse. We just know that, that the child was abused and the child was homeschooled. And in fact, mm -hmm. in her in her biography, she even mentions that, that she enjoyed many parts of the homeschooling. You know, so so she even even she doesn't argue that it was the homeschooling that was the source of abuse. But 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 Professor Bartholet wants um, this 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 extraordinarily extensive regime of oversight, government or, oversight, government regulations uh, of all homeschoolers because this one uh, poor young lady uh, was abused at home. And and then, of course, you know, as you mentioned, you know. Corey, you took my my course on research design and evaluation, and boy, I mean, you, it 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 that that other study, the Knox study, checks all the boxes for a weak empirical study. Um, you know, a lack of random assignment, unrepresentative sample of convenience, low n. You know, I mean, really. Well, I, you know, it's amazing it got published. It's so weak. Well, well it is super weak. But the, but I mean, to the credit of the researchers themselves, they put at the very end like this is a super limited sample of convenience. They say those things, and they say you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, you know use this to extrapolate. You shouldn't um, run statistical tests on on these numbers. But that didn't stop Bartholet from using it to say in in her eighty page Arizona Law Review article and another article in the Boston Globe that came out just last month where she made the claim that 
there is evidence that there's that abuse rates are higher in the home than they are in schools. So she used that to extrapolate to the population um, and generalize and say that there's evidence that abuse happens more often in homes than in schools, which you can't say that from that study. No, no, you can. And I mean, there just there just isn't good research on that. We know, sadly, it happens in both places. And, and you know, child abuse is a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. Uh, I, I in no way seek to, to downplay or, or poo-poo child abuse. It's, it's, it's a horrific thing. It happens in the home. It happens in public schools, sadly. And, you know, the, the um, Choice Media is, is, is compiling, has compiled a very long list of all the known cases, publicly reported cases of child abuse in, in public schools. And in many of those cases, it's the context includes a lot of information about how long the abuse went on, uh, even when, when public school officials knew about it. And mm-hmm. Professor Bartholet makes a big deal about how homeschooling is, is, is a greater risk of child abuse because public school officials are mandatory reporters if they, if they witness abuse. But just because they're required to do it doesn't mean they actually follow through. And in many really tragic cases, uh, school officials have looked the other way and, and mm-hmm. missed, missed obvious cases of abuse that have, that have continued for long periods of time in the, in the public school system. Again, I'm, I, I, I don't want to knock public school teachers. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority of them, uh, you know, care about kids and protect children. The overwhelming majority of homeschooling parents protect kids, care about their children. The the children are their children. They they are strongly vested in their health and well being. Mm-hmm. Um, the the cases of abuse in in both homeschool environments and in public schools are exceptions. Uh, they're sad ones and we, we just don't know. No one can honestly claim to know whether they happen more frequently in one school set- setting as opposed to the other. Yeah, and I think the main difference here though is that although you know, you're pointing out that some abuse happens in schools as well, you're not taking the next step and, and to say that, you know, this always happens in schools and that, you know, we should take a next step and to have some type of ban on schools themselves. You're saying, you know, this happens and, but, you know, parents tend to be in the best position to make this decision, uh, you know, to, to homeschool their kid or to send them to one school over another. That's not, you know, you're not making like these sweeping statements that, that have been made, you know, similar statements have been made by Elizabeth Bartlett. So I think it's, totally fair to say, you know, that, that abuse does happen sometimes in schools, but you're not, you know, you're not, you're not that's all you're pretty much saying. That's, um, it's totally fair. Um, you know, and, and Chris Stewart just commented, I know Matthew, you pulled it up a second ago, but, uh, this report was super old. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Pat, but 2004 is the latest report on the subject. The U S department of education estimated that one in 10 kids in government schools will be the victim of sexual abuse uh, or sexual educator misconduct by the employees in the system themselves by the time they graduate from high school. So again, this may not be a causal study either, but we do have some evidence of this happening, you know, in the system. It's not that, you know, it's not that the system is perfect, whereas homeschooling, you know, is, you know, uh, is, is, is like some horrible place where, you know, is the only place where abuse ever happens. 
So, yeah, and 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 what you get in the in the Bartholet argument is 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 really the the Bartholet article is is lack of any serious consideration of the counterfactual. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, compared to to uh, Nirvana, I mean, compared 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 to Utopia, um, homeschooling sometimes falls short in these ways, and therefore it should be presumptively banned. Well, let's not compare it to Utopia because guess what? Uh, Utopia isn't what we get if we if we don't if we don't homeschool. We get we get an institutional school, a private school, public charter school, a traditional public school. That's the counterfactual. That's mm -hmm. the alternative for these kids. Uh, what's what's true in in those venues compared to homeschooling? That's the best we can do. And when we consider the counterfactual, like for example, in her claim that 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 uh, many or most or a majority of homeschoolers, which, you know, as you pointed out, Corey, she loves that word, many, she loves it. She used many or some 210 times. You said most or whatever, you know, 100 other times. But yeah, many or uh, some 210 times. So, 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 you know, uh, if, if, if that's true, you know, in, in, in the case of, you know, she claims many or most uh, homeschool families uh, are doing it to religiously indoctrinate their children and give them just a one-sided view, perspective on on many life issues. When we transfer that to to uh, the public school sector, oftentimes we see cases. Uh, and I'm, I can't say if it's a majority of the time, uh, mm -hmm. but but we often see cases where where parents and students complain about only getting a, a one sided view of of key policy issues. We know there's been a strong movement to ban controversial books from public schools, uh, including To Kill a Mockingbird. Ban, you ban, I mean, public school systems are banning To Kill a Mockingbird. Most homeschool families I'm familiar with, and I, I have to admit, you know, truth, truth in advertising, uh, in, in the interest of full disclosure, my wife and I homeschooled one of our sons for most of his academic career. And we met a lot of homeschooling families, and they are tremendously diverse. Um, it's really, it was frustrating to see all the stereotyping that was in the Bartholet article about, about, you know, up to 90% of them are religious fundamentalists who are trying to indoctrinate their children. That's, that's, that's clearly not true. Um, and there, there have been solid descriptive studies showing uh, what, what, you know, the families, why they're homeschooling, what their political orientations are. They, they're all the way across the map ideologically. You have everything from, from crunchy granola back to the earth, uh, liberals to, uh, to conservative Christian, uh, um, you know, more right-wing folks and everything in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, and w when we started homeschooling in, uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, when I taught at Georgetown University, we quickly learned that Montgom Montgomery County, Maryland had the highest rate of homeschooling of any county in the country. Mm. And we're like, wow, that's really interesting. And we thought about it a bit and it's why do so many families in Montgomery County, Maryland homeschool their children? Because they can. Montgomery County, Maryland also has the highest proportion of adults with advanced degrees. Mm -hmm. So they have, you know, they have many families where because 
at least one of the uh, adults has an advanced degree, they, they bring in enough of an income that the other uh, parent can, can customize and deliver the education of the child in the home. Or sometimes it's the other way around, you know, that the parent with the, with the advanced degree um, is the educator. Uh, in and I mean, in our case, my wife has master's degrees in education and um, and uh, English literature, so so she was eminently qualified to uh, to to homeschool uh, our our son. And we met all these amazing families. Uh, one one uh, the the adult who was homeschooling was a professional artist, so she taught art to the homeschool children in our cooperative. And that's another really misleading element of the picture that Bartholet pa uh, paints is that homeschooling is isolating of children. And Corey, you pointed that out with that graphic they had at the Harvard Magazine thing. They showed, they showed this poor homeschooled child uh, uh, behind bars, locked into their home while, yeah, while the public school kids run around and play freely. Which, of course, is the exact reverse of, yeah, of how yeah. homeschooling usually works relative to public schooling uh, is, is we were outside doing stuff with Alex and with other children and families constantly throughout the day. We spent very little time learning actually inside our home. Basically, the world was our classroom and and Alex interacted with a ton of other kids on a regular basis uh, through his homeschooling experience and and my sense is that certainly isn't exceptional that that that's very common among uh, homeschool families is 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 that idea of using the home as your comfortable base and then expanding well beyond it uh, and making the world your classroom. Yeah, Pat, you pointed out that you had, you got two of the hard copies of the Harvard Magazine article. And what's interesting, I don't know if you, you noticed, but they miss they misspelled arithmetic. I know, I know. In, I was going to tell you, bring up the bring up the first. Yeah. Version, so yeah, here's the first the first version. Well, I'm I'm not going to go and and find that. It'll take too long. But I'll show everybody the the revised version. You know, they have four books, you know, they're trying to take a swipe at homeschoolers with the Bible, of course, you know, because, you know, anti-conservative, anti-religious fear mongering had to be incorporated. But they also included a book, Arithmetic, and it, originally it was misspelled arithmetic with an A-T-I-C at the end. So Pat's version will have that since he got the print version. They didn't fix it in time for the print version uh, that had already gone out, but online they switched it to arithmetic. And you know, what's funny is people were arguing, trying to back them up by saying, you know, well, maybe they did this on purpose because they're trying to say that homeschoolers can't spell or, or you know, they're trying to <laughs> stay at home. But if they would have kept it that way, they could have always made that argument, but they switched it and essentially admits that, oops, it was a mistake. And so it's completely, you know, a huge cell, a cell phone where, you know, they're trying to attack the educations of homeschoolers, but at the same time, they, they misspelled, you know, arithmetic in their own graphic. Pat, you point, you point out that, you know, they incorrectly, you know, say that 90% of the homeschoolers are Christians, you know, that they, they, they attacked, you know, Christians in that image in the latest, um, Harvard uh, article in the Gazette, they, you know, again, she takes swipes at conservative Christians with this fear mongering. 
as you say, you know, the, the percentage is actually a lot lower than that, but even if it was 90%, it shouldn't really be any of her business, right? Like it, you know, if, if, if it just, if it were to be the case that 90% of homeschoolers were Christians, even though it's not, why would that, you know, be a legitimate reason to have a presumptive ban on the practice? What do you think, Pat? Well, I think it, it goes back to her uh, central desire that that young people be free to choose alternative visions of the good life. Now, we might think if if that's really what she seeks, then then she should probably support the idea of children being exposed to biblical views of the world and 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 the Quran and the Torah and and various uh, fundamental religious texts that many people believe hold important truths and guide guides to living. But of course, uh, in in public schools in the United States, uh, they can't they can't instruct students based on on those. So there, there's a whole set yeah. of views of the good life that are denied mm -hmm. uh, 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 the the educational experience of students uh, in the public schools. So so it, it's a tough argument for her to make that that uh, that homeschool the homeschool experience is 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 more isolating and more indoctrinating than the public school experience because the public school spirit experience by law and regulation can't include the many hmm. religiously inspired views uh, of of life visions of a, of a good life that, that that are that are out there so so I think that's a problem that's a problem for her and you know the bottom line is hey parents have, influence uh, significant influence over their children for 18 years mm -hmm. until they reach the the age of majority so only for a very small you know the the the, the typical lifespan now is 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 over 70 years uh, people are expected to live over 70 years so so for less less than than a quarter of that time about a quarter of that time parents have a significant amount of influence and then children have become adults and have their own rights and are freely able to choose the good life. I think Bartholet's concern is that is that they will be so favorably disposed towards the view of the good life that their parents shared with them in in this happy homeschooling environment that they they won't be tempted to switch to a more secular view of of the good life um, that that Bartholet appears to to promote I mean I don't know I can't see inside her heart and soul mm -hmm. I know uh, throughout her article she talks about knowing the motivations and intentions of other people um, I don't claim to have that metaphysical power um, but you don't need to either <laughs> no I don't, need, I don't rely on that I just know what people say and do. I'm a social yeah. scientist. I I just know what they say and do. I don't know what they what they feel and and what and what their what their motives and their consciences. But 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 basically, you know, what we see is is parents have this short window of opportunity to shape the values and behaviors of their children, and then their children are 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 cast free. They're you know mm -hmm. like like birds uh, to leave the nest and and live their own life, and they can they can rely upon that foundation that parents have helped them build, and then they can uh, change it and adapt it to, to suit their own preferences and their own vision. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think this idea, I think Bartholet doesn't give young adults enough credit 
for their own agency and their own ability, you know, to choose a set of values and behaviors that isn't exactly the same as their parents. And and I know, I mean, all of us who have adult children know, I mean, we love them to death. We did our best in shaping their values and they're different than we are. I mean, I, I don't know of a single young adult who's a cookie cutter image of their parents and, and shares all of their, of their values because they are free individuals and they have their own free will and their own agency. And, and homeschooling and other values-rich uh, educational environments, whether you find that in private schools and public charter schools or in traditional public schools, if they're a value-rich environment, then um, it's going to give the young adult a solid grounding and also the motivation for them to seek out you know, their own path in their own way. So we, we should at least note, and, and we won't impute motives here or, or even – uh, dig too much into what actual expertise is, but we should at least note what it is that Elizabeth Bartholet does at Harvard and what her expertise is at least listed as, right? So uh, not in, I haven't found anywhere on Harvard's website, on her faculty page, where it lists anything about homeschool or education. And doesn't surprise me necessarily because she's gotten so much wrong, right? <laughs> In that respect. So that's not surprising to me, but uh, what does, what does get listed here as her areas of interest are child welfare, civil rights and civil liberties, children and the law. And, and really this is where the majority of her publications seem to be at least are in uh, adoption and foster care. And so, you know, she's that's that and that her child advocacy program, I think, is the name of the the program that she runs at Harvard. Um, but that's the homeschool piece is new. Somehow that that came out of left field for her to be focusing on that because her historical focus seems to be on uh, adoption and foster care and things like that. So again, we, I don't know her personally. I don't know her well. Uh, all I can see is what has been published. And it seems to be that the majority of what's out there is really focused on those things. And so for her to be commenting as an authority figure on homeschool and homeschooling outcomes and on the conditions within uh, families where homeschooling is taking place seems... Out of place. I, I don't know how that came to be. You know, it seems like it was a timing thing, and and I think the timing was terrible. Uh, Rick Hess made this point in in his uh, op-ed about it. Is is suddenly every uh, parent of a K twelve student in the country is is home educating uh, that that child. Now it's not exactly the same as homeschooling, but they are they are guiding, directing, and participating in the home education of their child by order of the state to protect <laughs> right, right. the safety of the child. And so then Bartholet's article comes out saying homeschooling is dangerous to children. So so first of all, it, it throws panic into into every oh, parent. Oh no, what do we do? <laughs> oh no, oh no, this is horrible for our children. And the other thing is of course uh, when you think about what homeschooling is, and it, it is it is parents being being actively and deeply involved in the education of their child, well, there's tons 
of social science research on what a good thing that is. That, that the more involved parents are in their child's education, the better the outcomes are for that child. In a way, that's the mm-hmm. silver lining of COVID-19 is it, 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 it really uh, pushed every family, every parent to at least temporarily be more active in their child's education. And I'm sure it takes work and sure there are frustrations with it. But I've certainly heard a lot of, of chatter on Twitter saying, you know, th- th- this is nice. This is nice. We're doing some neat things together educationally. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting and valuable for me as a parent to be more deeply involved in my child's education. Um, and, and, you know, that, that could be the story that came out of the Harvard magazine, but no, instead it's that, it's that homeschooling is very risky and dangerous. Most parents, uh, don't, don't want to do it, don't, aren't interested in their child's education. Most parents are not qualified in significantly um, uh, being involved in their child's education. And most parents who want to homeschool uh, are abusive. I mean, that was the message that they put out, you know, when we are all homeschoolers now. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, you know what, Pat, they, 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 before this most recent article came out, they could have said something like, you know, they could have hinged on the argument that, well, we already planned this, you know, um, her Arizona law review article was already written a long time ago. We, you know, we, we had this Harvard magazine article written months ago. We just, you know, we, you know, we weren't thinking when, when it came out in the May, June issue. Um, but I mean, the, and, and, you know, that conference was planned a long time ago and look, we canceled it because of COVID-19. Uh, but then they did this most recent interview with her. And I know you've seen it already uh, in the Harvard Gazette um, where, you know, she essentially triples down on, on her original attack on homeschooling and she doesn't back off one bit. And I would, I would argue that this particular interview, uh, that happened, you know, pretty recently, just came out a couple of days ago. Um, you know, I think this one is even further out there than her, you know, the, the magazine piece or the Arizona law review article. Um, yeah. Have you, do you have any particular thoughts on this most recent piece? Well, a couple of thoughts. One is I just don't understand what Harvard's trying to do because, you know, the Harvard Magazine is the communication device for alums of Harvard, many of whom uh, have homeschooled their children or are homeschoolers themselves. <laughs> and the Harvard Gazette is the official um, the, the official's, uh, spokes, uh, you know, uh, spokesperson vehicle for Harvard University. So it is the publicity vehicle for the university. And so they are, they are deliberately mm-hmm. trying to send a message that uh, homeschooling is dangerous and homeschoolers are bad. Now, they also enroll a lot of homeschoolers because as you, as you alluded to earlier, Corey, uh, homeschoolers regularly win the Scripps uh, National Spelling Bee Contest. They mm-hmm. regularly score um, perfect scores on the SAT. Um, mm-hmm. You know, supposedly they're isolated and their parents can't teach them, but <laughs> amazingly, they they just dominate in all of these all of these academic contests. And so Harvard enrolls a substantial number of homeschooled uh, students, and and the Harvard Gazette has even published stories about how 
wonderful the homeschoolers of Harvard are and how, how mm -hmm. easy they acclimate to uh, intellectual and social life at Harvard University. We're not hearing any of that now. We're just, we're just hearing Harvard sending this, this big bat signal, you know, homeschooling bad, homeschooling dangerous, <laughs> homeschoolers bad. And, and I, just, I just don't understand what they're trying to accomplish because they, they, are, they are at risk of, of alienating um, a, a, pretty, a pretty sizable number of their uh, students, alums, and, and, and parents of students. So Patrick, you do a lot of research in, you know, private school choice. We just had a, a, a publication accepted finding, you know, the, multi, the, the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program reduced crime and paternity suits. Well, I don't want to switch to there yet, but I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, in, in Elizabeth Bartlett's 80 page Arizona Law Review article. She, 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 you know, uses about a page or a page and a half to talk about private school reform, um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about, you know, maybe some of some of the thoughts she lays out here? She pretty much, you know, goes on to say that you know private schools have some of the same problems as homeschoolers. You know, a lot of them are religious, and you know, um, what I thought was most interesting, and I want to get your take on this sentence, is that she says it would be deeply unfair to allow those who can afford to private school to afford private schools to isolate their children from public values, whatever those are, in private schools reflecting the parents' values while denying this possibility to those unable to afford such schools. You know, I don't want to I don't want you to assign motives because I know you don't like to do that, but what do you think she means by this statement in particular? She's expressing a concern and and it's a concern that seems to would or is assumed to have a basis in reality and and in empirical reality but it really doesn't and the assumption is that if if government is controlling and directing uh, a child's education then the child is going to have stronger public and civic values than if a private sector organization or their, their own parents are directing um, their, their education. And there's actually a pretty extensive empirical literature on this. You know, you know this, Corey. You've contributed uh, to it, and, and many other scholars have. Dave Campbell, uh, Richard Nemi, I mean, I mean the, famous, the, the, the eminent James <laughs> Coleman. You know, one of the most famous education researchers ever really started the research on on school type and and civic outcomes. And when you when you when you draw when you consolidate all the information, there are just a few tiny findings, three findings out of almost a hundred of of government uh, controlled public schooling producing better public values than privately controlled schooling. Uh, instead, you see a majority of the studies, and here we can say a majority, right? Because mm -hmm. we have we yeah, have a complete yeah. count. We we know we know the the population. Um, a majority of the findings are that schools of choice, private schools, public charter schools, and even homeschooling. Uh, produces students with stronger civic values, stronger tolerance, uh, more uh, active um, citizenship involvement in politics, more active involvement in their community. So 
basically, you know, government control and direction of education is in many cases justified by the need to have citizens who are tolerant, uh, politically informed, politically active, and involved in their communities. Well, it turns out that when schools of choice do that job for the government, the outcomes are better. The civic outcomes are better for kids, uh, particularly in political tolerance. And, and that's a real problem for Bartholet because her argument is that you have to have public involvement of public officials, you have to have government control, or, or children will be intolerant. Mm-hmm. But the evidence, the evidence completely undermines that claim. I'm going to tell you a quick story from when I was at Georgetown University. So, you know, Georgetown University is a Catholic Jesuit university. Uh, the, the year I started there in 1998, they had just renovated their largest classroom building. That classroom building, uh, since the start, uh, since it was built, had uh, crucifixes in each classroom. It's Catholic university. It's just a reminder of the Catholic identity uh, and religious identity of the university. So some members of the faculty and some students protested that the crucifixes should not be returned to the classroom, to the classrooms because that was intolerant uh, and, and uh, that was intolerant of non-Catholics who were attending Georgetown University. And uh, it looked like that argument was going to win until the leaders of the Jewish student group and uh, Muslim student group at Georgetown University came out in favor of the crucifixes being returned to the classroom. Now, that surprised a lot of secularists, you know, at Georgetown because they're like, wait a second, you should oppose Catholicism. Um, and as, as intolerant towards you. And they said, no, we, we are people of faith. We have, we have a deep commitment to our own faith. It's not Catholicism. It's a different faith. But we are very respectful of other people who have a deep commitment of faith. And we seek to, uh, to live with them, to learn with them, and to understand their faith tradition um, as we live out our own. And so we know this is a Catholic university. We want to be reminded of its sincere religious identity. We want those crucifixes in the classroom. So that, that won the day, that argument won the day. And I think it underscores this idea, this, this fallacy that if a person has strong religious beliefs, they are necessarily intolerant. That's, 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 that's not necessarily the case at all. There are intolerant people who are deeply religious and there are intolerant people who are, who are thoroughly secular. Um, uh, religion, religion does not drive people to, to intolerance. It's really a choice that individuals from, from different, uh, different traditions and backgrounds and value systems make themselves. Well, and what's interesting is that in the same essay or interview, Elizabeth Bartholet, you know, argues that homeschoolers are going to be intolerant. But at the same time, she expresses anti-conservative, anti-Christian intolerance. Right. But at least it seems she doesn't say so explicitly, but it seems like she, you know, at least appeals to a lot of anti-Christian, anti-conservative, you, know, uh, you know, sentiments. Um, in, in her arguments. And then for, for listeners really quickly, though, uh, Patrick talked about the review of the evidence finding that school choice leads to better civic outcomes. 
It's actually a chapter in this book, uh, School Choice, Separating Fact from Fiction. Patrick Wolf is the uh, editor of the volume, and that's chapter four, uh, Do Self-Interested Schooling Selections Improve Society? I authored that one. It's uh, Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> the evidence on that is uh, tends to be positive. Well, and there's a great review in there of the a literature Homeschool review by, yeah. yep, by Brian Ray um, that goes over a lot of what we're talking about here. In fact, I, I can't remember if that lit review actually has it or not. You'll know this, Pat, but it talks about um, tolerance. Of, I want to say that he did cover that in that one, didn't he? Yeah, he did. There, there are only a couple of studies. One of them is authored by Albert Chang, uh, who is my colleague at the at the University of Arkansas Department of Education Reform. Uh, he he did he studied. What he did was he 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 surveyed students who were at a Christian university, and so they all had chosen this this Christian university to attend, but they came from different backgrounds. So so they had the 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 Christian uh, value system of that university in common, but they had different schooling backgrounds. And she found that, the, and he found that the ones who were homeschooled, which is supposedly the most isolating and intolerant form of schooling a child can have, the ones who were homeschooled actually had higher levels of political tolerance than the ones who were schooled in, in, other, in other type of schooling arrangements, uh, Albert found. And so it's an interesting study. Mm -hmm. And what you see in, in, in Albert's study and, and in Brian Ray's review, I mean, Brian is very clear about the limitations, the research limitations of all these studies. You know, the problem of self-selection, the problem of, of these parents being so devoted to their child's education that they are going <laughs> to, to, to take it upon themselves, you know, to educate them at home. So, so he acknowledges all that and he says, you know, but this is what we know. We, what we know is that the outcomes are better. And we, we can't say for sure that it's better because of homeschooling per se, or because of, 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 of the commitment of parents. But the Bartholet argue, our, our argument is that parents aren't committed, homeschooling parents aren't committed, that they are, they are dangerous and they, and they are likely to abuse their children. And, and there's, just, there's just no evidence uh, that that happens uh, you know, in any kind of a systematic way and in any rate that's, that's greater than other forms of schooling. So Patrick, something really jumped out at me from the uh, Harvard Gazette interview just a couple of days ago. And I want to read some of that to you related to abuse. And I want to get your thoughts on, you know, either what, what you think she's saying or, you know, just your reaction. But in the interview, she says something along the lines of there's no requirement that homeschool children ever see any mandated reporters of abuse. Effectively, here's the important part. She says, there's a right to abuse your child and to not educate your child just so long as you're homeschooling them. What do you think about that line of reasoning? Yeah, I, I mean, th there are so many things wrong with that statement. I mean, first <laughs> of all, this is another inconsistency in her article. She claims at several places uh, homeschooling is unregulated in the United States, entirely unregulated in the United States. And then in another section where she wants to uh, argue that the strict government restrictions and oversight of homeschooling that she recommends as policy, that it's um, it's actually legal. We know it's legal because it's being done and it's been judged legal in a number of U.S. states. Well, wait a minute. Uh, if, if homeschooling is entirely unregulated, 
how can we know if if regulations are legal? You you claim we know they're legal because they're they've implement, been implemented successfully throughout <laughs> the United States. So so you know it's 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 this idea you know this this same idea so of an inconsistency. But in that particular statement, um, she is equating sort of. Um, the the opportunity for because there's a chance someone could she's equating that to that is the behavior that will take place mm -hmm. um so so because there is, there isn't a government official standing inside their home you know overseeing the instruction and following them all around the world where homeschoolers mm -hmm. go uh in their homeschooling experience you know because there isn't sort of a big brother uh watching all the time that um that that you know, an opportunity for abuse becomes a expectation of abuse, and and that's ridiculous. It, it's an un it's an uncharitable and and legally questionable position of you are guilty until proven innocent. And yeah. that's and that's really what she's suggesting. She says there should be a presumptive ban on homeschooling. We should presume uh, parents who want to homeschool are are incompetent and and want to do it f for indoctrination and abuse purposes. Mm -hmm. And so they should have to prove, essentially, in a court of law, that they can uh, be involved in their child's education. Well, just well, imagine just imagine if you applied that to any other area of life. I mean, you could essentially take away tons of liberties by that line of reasoning, right? I mean, it flips our legal system on its head for, for starters, that it would essentially have us all guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if that's such a good idea between the ages of five and 18, why not start at age zero and hand our kids to the government from the between the ages of zero and five? Because look, if you have nothing to hide, well, you, you should be more than happy to surrender your kids to the government. Same thing with food, right? We want kids to eat healthy food. We should have to pay a government, you know, uh, employee to come eat dinner with us every night so that he could check our, <laughs> our, our make sure our dinners are okay, right? Eat your veggies, Corey. <laughs> right. Have broccoli? Oh, you don't have broccoli, oh, so, you know. Yeah. But, you know, if you're, if you're feeding them broccoli already, you shouldn't have any problem with that, I think is her line of reasoning. Right. And, and, and the other clear problem, I mean, there are like six or seven problems with that statement, but the other really important one is, is it's not true that there's no monitoring or oversight of what, of the products of a child's home education. The children, you know, the overwhelming majority of, of children, I mean, we, we just, we don't, we, we don't have exact numbers on it. But but the families I see or or hear of homeschooling, they take their children to the doctor. The doctors <laughs> see them on a regular basis. Um, they 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 take them. They, yeah, they take them to community organizations uh, where where public officials who are yeah. mandatory reporters. I mean, if they saw if they saw clear signs of abuse, there are a number of officials that homeschool kids interact with on a regular basis who would be in a position to see that and report on it. Um, and, and it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's a, an extreme caricature mm -hmm. of homeschooling parents and homeschooling that, that, you know, that, that it's isolationist, 
that they're imprisoned in homes and that nobody sees them except their parents. It's an, it's an extreme caricature uh, and, it, and it's really an uncharitable sort of picture that's being painted of the adults who who are committed enough to their children's education and are and are taking a, a strong enough role in it they actually want to customize it for their their child's needs through through homeschooling well, when she says that effectively abuse is legal because homeschool is legal Come she's on. saying i mean that it's just a very unserious comment and it, because She's she's saying because obviously child abuse is illegal, right? right. So, so we know that. Mm-hmm. So it, when she, it, it's a false equivalency, right? So I mean, it, which yeah. she wasn't. I'm not going to say that she was saying like child abuse is legal because well, she did. That. She said that. She said that. She did. It's legal. Right, right. No, no person has the right to abuse another person. No adult has the right to abuse a child, whether they're their parents or not. That, that, that is no, it, right. It's an unserious statement. Um, But, uh, but you know, I, I, I think it just stems from her personal view, her confidence in government officials and government institutions to prevent abuse and problems at an arm's length from a child and their family. Um, and yep. this really gets at the, the principle of subsidiarity, which is a really core principle of education and school choice. And, and the principle of subsidiarity is that the person who is closest to a danger or, or a problem and who would bear the most consequences for a danger and a problem should have the authority to, to take action to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to a child who, who is neglected, abused, and has bad educational and social outcomes, who, who bears the most um, uh, um, burden if that happens, well, the parent does, right? Because then that child's going to be de- dependent on the parent well past, you know, the age of 18. They'll be financially dependent on the parent and, 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 and such. So, so, so that's really placing, you know, if you, if you, if you rely on parents to direct their, their child's education, either through homeschooling or through act, active involvement in a school choice for that child, then you are following the principle of subsidiarity. You're putting authority where it's going to be held most accountable because, because the, the outcomes for that, for, for a parent's child really, really reflect on the, on that parent and the parent suffers the, the consequences of it. Whereas in the public school system with government accountability, hierarchical accountability, political accountability, that's what's called low leverage accountability because there are, there are, there, it's distant. It's distant from the child themselves. Yes, we hope that education officials in in government-run public schools care about their students. We suspect many do. We hope that they do. But the bottom line is, if a child isn't successful in their school, they don't don't carry as much of that personal burden as if uh, your own child is is not successful uh, in terms of the burden a parent parent carries. So, So parents carry more of the burden. They should be given substantial authority and 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 far from from assuming that they are uncaring and abusers 
you know, we should, we should uh, assume that, that they're going to want the best for their child because they know their child better than anyone else. And, um, and it's on them if, if things don't work out. Yeah. And if there's any evidence of wrongdoing, then the government should step in. And I think we all agree here. And I think, you know, any reasonable homeschool advocate would agree with that statement as well, that, you know, no one should be able to abuse their children. Um, We're just saying that if there is evidence of abuse, the government should then step in. It shouldn't be this other way around where it's all, you know, everyone being guilty until proven innocent. But another, you know, one more thing I want to point out, um, I know we're coming up to an hour. So Pat, just tell us whenever you got to jump off, but some, an update for the viewers from the most recent, uh, you know, uh, Harvard Gazette piece in her interview, she said something else that was kind of surprising to me in that in all the other pieces, she has kind of backed up, backed up, you know, um, backed off a little bit and said, you know, this is just a presumptive ban. It's not, you know, like an all out ban, you know, if you have nothing to worry about, then you should, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, the, 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 the benevolent government officials and myself will approve of you and will allow you to educate your own children at home. So, you know, there shouldn't be that much of a problem. It's not a real ban like they have in Germany. But what's interesting is later on in the conversation, even though she started out the interview saying something like that, oh, she says in the same, you know, paragraph, I would not ban all homeschooling. Just, you know, I just want you to, to show that you're worthy um, you know, maybe you have a super athlete, you know, like Tim Tebow, he was homeschooled, you know, maybe they're in horrible public schools. But what she's, what was interesting to me is that she said that even if we grant these parents permission to homeschool, I would still require that their kids participate in at least some school courses and extracurricular activities. So, I don't know about you guys, but to me, that sounds like she's saying, I'm going to call this homeschooling, but I'm still going to go, you know, require them to, you know, participate in some government school or, you know, maybe a private school option. And, or maybe they'll have to go play sports or something at, at the nearby public Many of them do. And in fact, that's, a, that was another sort of, sort of self-contradiction in her article. She says, she says, uh, she says many, you know, her favorite word, many, many homeschool kids cool. are isolated, a- isolated in their homeschool experience. And then later on, she says, many of them participate in, in extracurriculars, including sports. So it can't, you know, it, it's, it's, or most, I think she said most in both said, cases, most are isolated and most participate in, in extracurriculars. So it's it's um, sure. I think it's I think it's a great thing that um, that many homeschool kids uh, also you know participate in organized sports, interact with kids who are going to their neighborhood public school, and sometimes take individual courses. I'm a big supporter of course choice, and I know that 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 public there that homeschool kids. Uh, do that. Um, there are even uh, homeschooling models, hybrid homeschooling models that have emerged where where the child is homeschooled for, for, for a few days a week and then is conventionally schooled in brick and mortar schools a few days a week. Also, usually um, homeschooling is a choice for a certain period of time for a child. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, the parents learn of a brick and mortar school that they think is a good match for their child's needs at that point in their life, the child then moves to a brick and mortar school. So all of this 
uh, contact, regular contact. We, we do know, we can say factually that the majority of students who are homeschooled have some contact with a traditional public school. Either they enroll in one at some point in their, in their career, or they participate in a course choice or, or a extracurricular. So if, if parents are motivated uh, to isolate their children through homeschooling, why do they keep exposing, why do the, most of them <laughs> expose them to the public schools and public school officials when that is a good fit for their vision. So it, it just, you, you just can't get a straight story from the Bartholet uh, article and the Bartholet argument. There's so many self-contradictions in it. And, and you know, it, it just, it adds up to her fears, you know, and, and there, I'm, I'm not gonna question the legitimacy of her fears. She is, hmm. is concerned about child abuse and I am too. And we all are. It's, it's a terrible thing. We all need to be concerned about it. But there's there's just you just there's just no evidence that uh, what she is attacking is is the cause of, mm -hmm. of child abuse. It's it's an alternative way to educate children that tends to produce very you know high level of high levels of academic achievement and very high levels of tolerance and and civic and civic virtue in in children so so why should we attack it why shouldn't we make it available in a very pluralistic sense mm -hmm. as one option for families in preparing young people uh, because it's it's an alternative that so far has demonstrated very positive results it seems to work really well yeah you know, well, Patrick, then, you know, we'll have, you know, conservative Christians educating their own children at home. We can't have that. <laughs> she, I, I mean, with, with the, stereotyping, I mean, I with the stereotyping in in the article, it just it just seems like she doesn't like conservative Christians. And and it's really sad to, to see, you know, those expressions uh, of of intolerance uh, on her part in in that in that article and we flagged a couple of them specifically in our essay just because they jumped out at us i mean she suggested that that a, an adult who 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 has a disability is incapable of homeschooling a child which is ridiculous um you know i mean just i mean to to have that kind of a stereotypical view of of people with disabilities um is 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 really disturbing to me because i i once worked as an advocate for people with disabilities. There are many people with disabilities who would be excellent home educators of their children. And just, you know, stereotyping and writing off entire classes of people, conservative Christians, Christian fundamentalists, pe adults with disabilities, as, as, as having illegitimate reasons for homeschooling. So she wants to be able to judge the reasons people have for homeschooling. And then, uh, and then making these blanket uh, judgments about the capability of different types of people to educate their children. I, it's really, it was really disturbing to me. In that, in that same part of the 80 page article, she also pointed out like people's education levels, like, you know, this many people had like higher education degrees as if that, you know, as if you need that to teach someone, you know, kindergarten level stuff. Um, but that, that's another thing that I'm concerned about with the idea of a presumptive ban, because look, Who's going to be able to make the decision of who is worthy? Are they going to say you have this disability, so you, you you're obviously not worthy of educating your kids? I think that would be totally ridiculous, and I don't trust the government to make that decision. You know, what if it's what if it's oh you're a conservative Christian? I think that would be unconstitutional. Obviously, 
a presumptive ban would also be un unconstitutional in my view. But you know, um, you know what 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 what's to stop people from saying, well, you don't have a teaching certificate, so you can't be a homeschool parent, even if you have a PhD, or you don't have a PhD, so you can't be a homeschool parent. I think that's right. Also, it, it, you know, right. It, it, it's problematic. It's it's presumptive of of people's intentions and motivations, and it's also presumptive of their abilities. And it and it shows her ignorance about what homeschooling is and how homeschooling operates because. As a homeschool parent, I mean, my wife and I didn't, we weren't providing the direct instruction for our son in all of his fields. We did it in the fields where we uh, had graduate degrees and, 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 and deep content knowledge. Other than that, we facilitated his access to educational experts through online means or through homeschooling networks so that he was always being taught by uh, someone, an adult who had deep content knowledge in in the discipline, but it wasn't always us, and it doesn't always have to be. I mean, that's the thing. It's 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 a misunderstanding of what a homeschool parent has to be and do. A homeschool parent has to know their child. They have to care about their, their child's education, and they have to uh, go to the effort of arranging an educational program for that child that that is going to serve their needs and and that's going to be delivering some instruction themselves directly to the child and oftentimes arranging for other uh, educational experts and content experts to to uh, to teach their child um, and and when done well it's just a beautiful thing so so Pat again I know we're going over but I I want to add in a little bit of historical context for this. Um, in her her 80 page article, she hinted what at what I thought would be a private school ban uh, because she said something along the lines of, you know, it wouldn't be fair for rich people to to isolate their kids in private schools where, you know, lower income people, you know, might not be able to have that ability. I would say that that would be a legitimate argument for vouchers to allow low-income people to do the same thing. But it, the other alternative is that she could be calling for a ban on private education altogether, not just homeschooling. Um, in in your class, I learned you know some of the history about uh, you know uh, a law in 1922 in Oregon. Could you you know kind of go through that? Yeah. So, you know, th there was a lot, there was a lot, we, we have to remember that through most of its history, government run public schools were religious schools through most of their history. Uh, they were, they were Protestant religious schools. The King James Bible was required reading. Um, there was, there was clear and documented uh, antipathy towards both Catholics and, and conservative Protestant denomination. So the idea was public schools will be mainline Protestant because mainline Protestants had the most political power at that point. And that's, you know, government institutions reflect the political power of, of subgroups. And, and so the, the, the common, the supposed so-called common school was mm -hmm. mainline Protestant for, for most of its history up until the 1950s. But in the 1920s, then um, the Ku Klux Klan was quite concerned about the number of, of Catholic school, private schools that were allowed to operate in the country. And so the Ku Klux Klan 
uh, organized uh, a, a group of of, of political uh, leaders and and a, a political coalition to ban private schooling uh, in the state of Oregon, and they passed a law that that outlawed private schooling. So parents could not send their children to uh, a private school. And at that point, homeschooling was outlawed in Oregon and most other U.S. states. Um, but but what, but let's go ahead. What was the argument made by the you know, why would the KKK be behind this? I'm not saying I'm not. None of us are saying that Bartholet is the same thing as the KKK. But I'm, <laughs> I just want to understand, like, yeah, we don't know what the KKK's motivation was, but we know that they are anti-Catholic, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they they were they were they were um, anti-African American. They were anti-Catholic, um, and uh, and and they saw Catholic schools as a rival to the authority, the the influence that they could have through the public school system. Uh, because they were very politically powerful at, at at that point in the 1920s, and so they they passed this law. Oregon banned private schooling. Uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor, which was a group of nuns that ran uh, Catholic schools in in Oregon, uh, sued, um, calling the the um, law unconstitutional and an unconstitutional restriction on the free exercise of religion. Went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court issued a unanimous ruling that it was unconstitutional for Oregon to ban private schooling. Uh, and in that, in that unanimous decision, they made the, the famous statement that the child is not the mere creature of the state, that, that children do not belong to the government. Um, yeah. they, they belong first and foremost to their parents, but, you know, many, many parents believe that children belong to God ultimately, and that, and that both parents and the state are custodians of, of mm -hmm. children and, and have an obligation to protect them and to advance their well-being. And so in Pierce versus Society of Sisters, the Supreme Court was making a clear statement that, um, that yes, we have government-run public schools to educate children, but it must always be, we must always permit various forms of private schooling if parents choose them, because it's not for the state to decide the, how a child should be brought up. Absolutely. And I was looking into this, you know, more, you know, since this whole homeschooling thing popped up again, and there was another case a couple of years before Pierce, uh, Meyer versus Nebraska, that kind of also gave, you know, way to, to being a, essentially a constant, you know, the, the courts were ruling in favor of homeschool families there as well, that, that parents essentially had the right to educate their children in the household. Um, so, you know, we have these two separate court cases that to me, it looks like any type of presumptive ban or especially an out, an outright ban on homeschooling would be unconstitutional in the United States. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's looking, it's, it's evolved that way. I mean, we, we've gone from a situation where, where homeschooling was banned in every state in the country to, to a, a condition now where homeschooling is legal in every state in the country to, and we're evolving to a point where, where it would be defended as as mm -hmm. you know it's 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 necessary that you allow it as an option uh for for families um so that so that 
the families, the parents, again, can, can take advantage of this precious window of just a dozen or so years where they can shape the education of their child and the values that will be a part of that education. And then the child can go forth and make their own free, free and fair decisions uh, based on their own lights. Mm-hmm. Yep. It makes well, total hey, we, sense. Yeah, we, we could keep going for another couple hours, Pat. But we, you know, <laughs> we've already we've taken more you know time than 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 we probably should have at, uh, from you. So, you know, thanks thanks so much for being on. We got to have you on again. Um, you know, just like just like Jay as well. We need to have both of you guys on. You guys have so much so much wealth of knowledge, so much things to talk about. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Pat. Um, is there any have, have any last words on you know this kind of whole situation or you know any anything that I just want to applaud you guys for this this video uh, um, uh, podcast that you're doing. Uh, it's very interesting. The people you're bringing on are are, are terrific. I've I've enjoyed uh, learning from them and the engagement, and and you know the bottom line. I think what's really important is 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 let you know let's 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 reason together towards the truth on these things um and let's not take reckless shortcuts like questioning people's motives or 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 exaggerating uh the facts or contradicting ourselves let's just be very careful and serious and scholarly in how we approach these things um and and not stereotype people and 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 be presumptive in our judgments I, I when you start with a statement presumptive ban you know i mean <laughs> right there that just says boy you better have a lot behind this um mm -hmm. and of course as we pulled pulled back the curtain we saw there was there was nothing but factual errors and inconsistency behind that argument for a presumptive ban uh let's 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 give our fellow uh human beings more credit than that all right. And with that, thank you so much again, Patrick Wolf, the uh, distinguished professor at the University of Arkansas's Department of uh, Education Reform. And uh, as you can tell today, he is you know, a, a PhD holder uh, out of Harvard University, and he totally destroyed the arguments by the Harvard law professor, Elizabeth Bartholet. I'll, I'll link to his article in Education Next in the comments. Also, I'll link to his, you know, his one of his recent books, School Choice uh, Separating Fact from Fiction, where there's tons of literature reviews on all the, you know, different uh, inconsistent or illogical arguments against choice. And on a related note, I'll also link to uh, this forthcoming book, co-edited by myself and Neil McCluskey at the Cato Institute. Patrick Wolf actually has a really good chapter in this book. I think this is the one most the most exciting chapters in the books where he updates his literature review linking private school choice to civic outcomes such as tolerance like we talked about earlier today. You can get this, pre-order it on Amazon for the low price of $24.95. <laughs> well worth uh, $25 to be able to take away the school choice myths that are all too often uh, discussed in, in the this, in this school choice debate. Um, Do you have a hand model in that photo? In that cover photo? No, I don't know who did that. It's definitely not uh, me. Um, <laughs> it was George Costanza. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's a lot, right? 
but yeah, so thanks, thanks so much, Pat. And thank you to all the listeners. Uh, you know, everybody we've had a lot of comments and, um, uh, you know, people, uh, very engaged with this discussion. So thank you so much until next time. What's Friday. We'll, we'll see you guys again at the educational freedom Institute podcast. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening. You can find EFI online at efinstitute.org, on Twitter at EF underscore Institute, and on Facebook at Educational Freedom Institute.